I think the next generation definitely does care because we still have a, a volunteer armed forces, right? We still have young Americans who are willingly signing up, knowing that like there is still a global war on terror. We still have to play an active part in this. So, you know, that at least gives me some sort of pause. Instead, you know, I, I don't think the gender studies, basket weaving, whatever, you know, majors that you're seeing, college campuses, I don't think they define the majority of Americans. They're the loudest voices. They're definitely the most conspicuous and obvious ones. How could they not? The majority have like purple hair and like, you know, identify with what God knows what gender. But I, I do think the point that you said of this being a failure of the education system, absolutely. It's a failure on parents to not kind of keep this a living, you know, for those who weren't alive then to kind of keep this as something that's like living history that we're still dealing with the consequences of what happened that day today, right? You still can't board a plane with shoes on or with more, you know, than 3.4 ounces of, of liquids. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate. And if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and I am your Political Contessa. I have a very special guest on with me today, Anna Quintana. Anna most recently served as the staff director for the Western Hemisphere for House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall. He's a congressman from Texas. In that capacity, she led the subcommittee staff and was Chairman McCall's principal advisor on Latin America, border security, and arms sales to the region. Yep, Anna is a badass. She also played a key role in the drafting and bipartisan coalition building for several successfully enacted pieces of legislation. Anna also served as lead Foreign Affairs Committee staffer for the Secure the Border Act, the first House-passed comprehensive border security bill in decades. Prior to her time on the Hill, Anna led the Latin America portfolio at the Heritage Foundation for nearly eight years. I love Heritage. It's awesome. And there she wrote policy studies and articles for a variety of outlets and was also a regular media contributor. Anna was also formerly a National Security Fellow with the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and a former Penn Campbell Democracy Forum Fellow with the National Endowment for Democracy. Anna is a current board member for the Strategic Intelligence Program at Patrick Henry College. She also is currently at the Vandenberg Coalition. Now, the reason I think it's important that Anna's on with me today before I let her jump in here, is because I think that our border and our national security and our foreign policy should be the most important issues that we are looking at today, especially us women, 
because it relates to our families. It relates to their safety. It relates to public health. There's so many issues that come up. And if you want to look at it as a humanitarian issue, it's that as well. But please pay attention and listen to what Anna has to say. Listen to what an expert has to say. Because it's great that the left pulls at our heartstrings, wants us to think about abortion, wants to motivate us to wear pink pussy hats. But that's not it. At the end of the day, isn't the safety of your family important? It could be your kids, your grandkids, your parents, your siblings, but it's all so important. So please listen to what Anna has to say and this important conversation. So Anna, thank you so much for being here on Political Contessa today. Yes, no, for sure. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to have someone who is well-versed in border security and foreign policy and has spent uh, some time on the Hill doing that and at a think tank. I love Heritage. So how in the world did you get into this line of work? Yeah. So it's funny because I try to think about that. I'm like, where did it all start? And and I really, so I'm originally from Miami. My my parents are political refugees from Cuba. And in Miami, it's like you live and breathe just everything that's happening in Latin America. It's like, I always say that Miami is essentially like Northern Cuba. It's it's not really a part of the United States. And I was just always fascinated by, you know, by the region, by the hemisphere. And I studied abroad in Brazil. And from then on, I got a job at DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, and kind of just, you know, took it from there. That is really cool. That's amazing. And I guess, you know, having parents that are political refugees, definitely, I think I always tell people my my political leanings were were pretty much defined when I was young. My dad died when I was little, and my mom was a single mom who had to go to work. And so it was, you know, where where I was going in my career and my life was totally, you know, the, the, those beginnings, right. Start at home with who you are and, and where you're, where you're thinking down the line. So you went to school in Florida and then you land up in DC. I did. Yeah. So while I was in school, I interned at the U S agency for international development. And I was like, I caught the bug. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I want to come back here, but I definitely don't want to come back to USAID because this is just too much lefty do gooder nonsense. Let me like look into the Intel side of things. And I was lucky enough to snag a position at DIA. I was there for a bit and I'm like, you know, I kind of want to work somewhere conservative and heritage is like conservative Disney, right? I mean, it is, <laughs> just, I, I like, I've always described it that way. It's like, it's such a great place to be around a lot of, you know, folks who believe in the same principles that you do, right? Obviously we didn't agree on everything, which is totally normal. And kind of, that's just the best part of the conservative movement. There's a lot of internal disagreement, but we're all kind of rowing in the same direction and yeah, you know, just and kind of been up here in DC for the last 10 ish years now. That's awesome. So I want to start with the border. I mean, you have a lot of experience there and, you know, worked on the, the first, you know, bill for, for border security. What is going on? I have, I have teenagers and I have a little one. And well, I have one teenager, I have one in college. My conversations with my kids changed from when I was young, don't do drugs, right? To don't do drugs because you'll be dead, right? And so 
We have a border that's open. You know, I look at it on the drug end. I look at it on the human trafficking end and and the sex trafficking end. And then I look at it from the perspective of just the the public health, public safety, and and humanitarian. I mean, you see, just I just saw that there's trainloads of of migrants coming in that are sitting on the top. Women are having unexpected labors as they're coming into the states. That children are getting lost. That there are miscarriages. I mean, when is this going to stop? How do we prevent this? What what is what is the next step here? Sure. So this is why, you know, border security and kind of foreign policy just writ large matter because our border is essentially the front line of our national security, right? Everything that we are worried about and concerned about that you just listed comes through the border. And the problem is, because this administration has essentially taken a, you know what, we need to spend our four years or however long, hopefully it's only four years they're going to be in office, apologizing for every mistake that they right, apologizing for the Trump administration or kind of trying to revert back what they view as kind of hostile policies. This is a situation that we're in. We used to have a great partnership with Mexico. The Mexicans actually took fentanyl and migration seriously. That's no longer the case because the Mexican government completely perceives that the Biden administration is just in office to apologize for Trump, right? So that's problem number one. Problem number two, which is why you're seeing these massive flows. Remember, they still have to go through the entire country of Mexico to get to the United States, and they're easily doing it. And then on the second end, it's the drug issue. So you have all of these border officials and border officials, instead of actually patrolling the border, they are now migrant caretakers. So they are processing all the migrants that are coming in. They're taking care of women and children. And because the Biden administration has essentially is now in a process of like, well, in order to fix the illegal number, let's just find a way of legalizing everybody. They're in a place where they can't really turn people away. They just have to process people in under Title Eight, bring people into the United States, and then they just kind of get lost in the abyss and in the system. And in terms of kind of what's next, like how do we fix this? I think, you know, House Republicans should really be commended for kind of holding the line and calling on the administration and saying, listen, you want funding for Ukraine, do something on the border because this just needs to stop. And we came together, right? Like I went back when I was on the Hill and we put together this great bill. It's called HR2, the first border security act to pass the House that explicitly says, these are the steps that you need to take to secure the border, right? Reform the asylum loopholes, actually do something about the personnel issue. Like just stop the nonsense and kind of this like leftist do-gooder you know, kind of crap and take care of our border. And so that's essentially their front, kind of their, you know, their top line ask. And let's let's see how this turns out. I think let's hope the new speaker has better luck in kind of convincing the Senate and kind of, you know, Senate Republicans actually grow a backbone here. Mm, yeah. Growing a backbone is something we need more of, I think, in Congress. So Bring up some interesting things. Clearly, we need more border security. Clearly, border is way too open. But in Mexico, isn't it in their best interest for to work with the United States for the border to be more secure? Because they have all these migrants from South America and Central America coming up through Mexico. And then, you know, that is ravishing right? Isn't it going, it's it's tapping Mexico's resources because Mexico is a very large country. And then on top of it, you have the cartels. So the government officials are getting weaker 
and the cartels are getting stronger. So isn't it in their best interest to want to encourage the U.S. to strengthen that border or are they just happy to get rid of all the people? So it's the, the thing is, they're not staying in Mexico. It's like, sure, are they temporarily kind of, you know, occupying some resources here or there? Sure. But they're not, the migrants aren't staying in Mexico. They're coming northward. Also, the, the second point is remittances. Now you're seeing, a, a, before it used to be a lot of kind of like smaller Mexican family units that would come to the United States. But during COVID and kind of when all like the lockdowns were occurring, you saw you started seeing an uptick in single male Mexican migration to the United States. What are they coming to the United States for? To work. And they're sending money back. Why are they going to stop them? I mean, there's really no kind of incentive if these individuals are essentially sending money back into Mexico. And that plays a key role in Mexico's economy. In Guatemala, for example, remittances are about 12 to 13 percent of the entire country's GDP. Why are these countries going to stop? It's a key part of the economy. And so this is where, you know, you need kind of strong leadership from the United States to be able to say, listen, it's not about convincing you that it's in your interest. It's about telling you, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. I was in Mexico around like 20, I can't remember, was it like 2018-ish, 2019, when those like large caravans started forming and we went, we're like, okay, let's go see these caravans. Let's see what's going on here. And this is when the Trump administration was just like, no, we've had enough of this crap. This absolutely needs to stop. And the, and President Trump threatened the Mexican government with implementing a tariff on, I forgot which particular exports. Within about a week after that threat of the tariff was a new agreement with Mexico for Mexico. And they admitted this themselves for the first time in their history to actually provide operational security of their southern border. Right. So, I mean, this is the thing. Threats and leverage work. Right. Strong leadership works. And you actually saw a tangible decrease. What happens? President Biden comes in and says, I'm sorry, you know, the big man was so mean to you. Let's kind of revert and get rid of all these policies. And we're in the situation that we're in now. <laughs> but it's amazing that they're shocked or all of the I, I live in a uh, sanctuary city, unfortunately, and, and sanctuary state. And Massachusetts has lost $344 million of revenue in the first quarter of the 2024 fiscal year already due to migrants, surge of migrants and taxing people that they deemed to be wealthy. So wealthy people left, migrants came in, and now they're looking at using convention centers as housing for migrants. They're looking at using government buildings as housing for migrants. And you look at the Americans here in Massachusetts, it actually made national news before the Army-Navy game. People could not find uh, hotel rooms because migrants were in hotel rooms. Elderly and veterans have been kicked out of their housing for migrants. So we're taking in these migrants. So anyway, back to what I was saying was, you know, that border, as soon as Biden said, oh, he was so mean, that big orange guy, he was so mean, he was so terrible. He was trying to keep you out. I'm going to open the borders. I don't know what all of these mayors and governors thought was going to happen in our sanctuary cities and states, other than the influx of people that have been coming in. So here in Massachusetts, it's freezing. And they just had that the, the governor is asking asking people to give winter clothing to migrants. 
again, what about all of our American citizens that have fallen on hard times and, you know, are struggling to find adequate housing and and struggling to find adequate clothing? And so it, it, I, it the whole border issue has become and then on top of it, you know, the the public health crisis, right? We get over COVID. Now the border's open. No one has health forms. It's not like they're coming over the border with, you know, a clean bill of health and there's nothing to worry about. And so again, I mean, there's it's it's Congress needs to act while we still have this disaster of a president in office. But, you know, will the Senate have have the votes? Will the Senate have the nerve and the backbone to do something about it and to stand on what what the House says? And will they have the votes? See, yeah, that's the thing. The, the vote the, the vote issue is definitely going to be a challenge, right? But then if you look at where simply because you have a lot of Democrats that don't want to go against their president and we're, we're gearing up into an election year and why would they want to weaken Biden? That being said, if they were actually to vote on behalf of their constituents, like border security in terms of Biden's approval rating, I think it's like at 20, only 20 something percent of Americans approve. It's an abysmal number. Why are Senate Democrats, they would be smart to kind of to lead with that. They would get reelected by like bipartisan majorities, right? If they actually pushed anything, you know, that got the administration to change on, on border security. And, you know, I think you raised such a big point on the health aspect, right? Like folks are not coming here with health forms. What they're also not coming here with is any sort of record about kind of, you know, their their criminal record. You are seeing, especially with a lot of the Venezuelans that are coming, these reports of a lot of prisons that have been emptied or kind of, you know, former prisoners that have been released early from jail and what ends up happening, they're not coming here. We don't have dip- a diplomatic relationship with Venezuela. So it's not like we can ask the Venezuelan government, hey, can you please tell us about X, Y, and Z person to make sure that they're clear? No, you have these massive reports of these Venezuelan gangs now proliferating all throughout Florida. And I, I think, you know, that's just touches on this like key issue, like where we talk about you know, kind of like gang members on MS-13 in El Salvador and kind of, you know, kind of from that community, you know how Venezuelan gangs in the United States, what's going to happen four or five years from now with Venezuela? It's essentially a narco dictatorship. These guys have any ties back home. Are we going to now potentially see a proliferation in like Venezuelan, you know, kind of originated cocaine trafficking to the United States, which we're on top of, we're already dealing with a fentanyl crisis, the ongoing cocaine crisis in this country. And so, you know, I just, I try to like think like, what could it be a problem that we're dealing with a year to some odd years from down and, you, you know, kind of down the line. And I think the Venezuela angle of all of this is what deeply concerns me and, and the terrorism angle as well at that. Mm. Well, I was just going to get to, I was just going to get to the terrorism angle. Um, I mean, there's just so many different, that's what's amazing. Anytime I've had this conversation with friends on the other side of the aisle, I've, I've asked them these questions like, you know, oh, it makes you feel good. And, 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 you know, not to be political, but to be political for a second, because I'm, in politics. But, you know, when when I talk to friends on the other side of the aisle, it's all about feeling good and making people feel good. And I look at things on more of a practical basis, right, of of all the steps, like I said, whether it's public health, public safety, 
But, you know, then you look at, okay, it's public public safety, public health, you know, how this humanitarian issue of of dumping little kids without parents and, and what does that do to society? But then let's talk about the terrorist part, because I feel like that part is overshadowed by a lot, you know, oh, there are 2 million immigrants that have come in so far this year. Okay. And how many terrorists? So what there's like about 150 terrorists that have been caught, but what about all the ones that have gotten through, right? And they're not, when we say terrorists, they're not necessarily coming from South America and Central America, right? Those are actual terrorists coming over from the Middle East and backdooring through Central America. Sure. So I, I think, you know, there's there's a the, the administration, just the Biden administration gets away with a lot of kind of this, the kind of a lot of the their slip ups on terrorism because of wordsmithing. So, yes, there's terrorists that have been apprehended now. But now we also have to look at the amount of people who have been flagged either as they have been coming across the border or retroactively, let's say, like once they've already been allowed inside of the country. And then there's been, you know, further checks done on them, whether they've like pinged on any sort of terrorist watch list. Then the other side is any folks who have potentially been willfully smuggled to the United States who've done it with any sort of terrorist affiliated networks, because that's the other side that also kind of enables and empowers terrorist organizations. So say, you know, kind of not to get into information that I'm not allowed to get into, but there was a CNN article a few months ago about an ISIS affiliated smuggler who smuggled people to the United States. And I would highly encourage folks just Google CNN ISIS smuggler border so you can see the reports of this and kind of just see the information that's publicly out there. That should be deeply shocking and concerning. The fact that people have potentially made it into the United States. They didn't flag on any sort of terrorist watch list. They were potentially involved with an ISIS affiliated smuggler. So kind of at every single touch point, the Biden administration's immigration and border security policy, right? These like this open border agenda has empowered and kind of, you know, kind of financially, financially enriched a terrorist group. And that is disgusting and shocking. And as every, any American, I don't care where you are on the ideological spectrum, like you should be appalled by that. And so, you know, kind of allowing your views on border security and kind of immigration to be dictated by like feel good nonsense. Like, I'm sorry, but October 7th should have jarred and kind of shut that out of anybody's mind. Because for anybody who's been to Israel, and I've been there a few times, I've been there at that Gaza border, like the Arez crossing and specific, like specifically, it looks like such a heavily guarded fortress. And if for the Israelis, which is like a militarized society where like you go to a restaurant and folks are carrying like, you know, kind of machine guns on their back, just, you know, it's like a random day you're picking up coffee. We should be just shocked and terrified at kind of how insecure and kind of what the implications of like our insecure border really are. Mm. That's it's scary. It's scary and it's horrifying. So so let's go off of that. So you said all Americans, you know, should be horrified by the the terrorist organizations and and the fact that they are being enriched by this administration. So but what we see today, what we see on TV, what we hear in the news is that there are many kids who have been uneducated on this issue of terror, what terror organizations and cells really are. I mean, I, I was 
I was airborne on September 11th. I was one of 30 flights that was in the air on September 11th uh, going on my honeymoon. And so landed on my honeymoon and heard that there were there was a plane crash. That was it until we got in and turned on the TV. And that is in my memory, the 78 lives that were lost from my own hometown in New York, the friends that we lost, the that our friends that saw the buildings come down around them that were in the church there. I you can't ever forget that stuff. Is it it's a failure of, I think, the schools and parents for not reminding and telling these kids and teaching history the right way. But, you know, going to what you're saying, do you think that the next generation actually cares about this terror stuff when you see on college campuses pro-Palestinian protests and and the the confusion of what is actually going on overseas? Look, I, I think the next generation definitely does care because we still have a, a volunteer armed forces, right? We still have young Americans who are willingly signing up, knowing that like there is still a global war on terror. We still have to play an active part in this. So, you know, that at least gives me some sort of pause. Instead, you know, I, I don't think the gender studies, basket weaving, whatever, you know, majors that you're seeing, college campuses, I don't think they define the majority of Americans. They're the loudest voices. They're definitely the most conspicuous and obvious ones. How could they not? The majority have like purple hair and like, you know, identify with what God knows what gender. But I, I do think the point that you said of this being a failure of the education system, absolutely. It's a failure on parents to not kind of keep this a living, you know, for those who weren't alive then to kind of keep this as something that's like living history that we're still dealing with the consequences of what happened that day today, right? You still can't board a plane with shoes on or with more, you know, than 3.4 ounces of, of liquids. And so I just think that we as a country don't do a good enough job of kind of commemorating those these key events in our in our past. If you kind of look how other countries do it, it's Folks can still tell you the names of, I'm sure in other countries, of like people who've died in terrorist attacks. How many Americans can do that? You can, because these were some of your friends and colleagues. But it's just, it's it's pretty, it's kind of pretty sad. And I think parents need to kind of be a bit more aggressive on that because education systems have been hijacked by the left and then the schools aren't going to do it for you. Right. And you have to, I mean, I've been talking to my kids about it and my kids are you know, two generations behind me. And and we have had these conversations from September 11th to the shoe bomber to what it was like when I was a kid. And my parents used to walk me right to the gate of the plane and the plane was right there and you got on and there was no, you know, you could take whatever you wanted with you on and, and a totally different world. But now what about what we're seeing. And it's it's phenomenal. I actually was hoping to take my mom to Israel next summer. And that was that plan is a little bit thwarted at this point. So I haven't been. So can we talk about Israel and the Gaza Strip and everything going on over there from a as much as you can share, but what that area is like, you, I mean, you had said, you know, they walk around with machine guns and, and it's hev- heavily guarded, but how this could possibly happen. And do you see any resolution and anything in between? Anything in between there? Sure. So, you know, on on one side, it's heavily guarded. And then just kind of 
feed away from that, just this, this heavy kind of intelligence surveillance reconnaissance, kind of just that whole mirror out of that, you know, kind of the whole apparatus that you can imagine. There's people, there's communities, there's, I mean, and so this is how you know it happened because these people lived there. We we used, we once went to this um, farming community and like, I'm going to apologize if I start crying because like, this is one of the communities that was the most impacted. I think they lost, God, I think it was like 30 or 40 something people. And there were probably like a hundred something of them. And we spent like a whole afternoon with this like lovely farming community, right? We went to like the schools and like, you see like there's, there's playgrounds and right next to their playgrounds, it's kind of the reality of their existence is their bomb and security shelters. And then, you know, a few feet away from a playground, you'll see someone's house and that house has, you know, like we'll have like a fresh mortar mark because there's just always mortars and rockets and all of this stuff, you know, kind of coming across. And it's incredible because these people live there because that's their ancestral homeland. And now, you know, like some of the folks, some of these folks who I've met are probably no longer here. And so, you know, thinking about kind of how could this have happened, I think that's an effort that the Israeli government is going to have to, it's a serious reckoning that's going to have to take place because now there's reports that some junior level kind of like intelligence officers were trying to warn of certain videos and kind of trends that they were seeing along with kind of from, from Hamas. I could have indicated a major siege at the border was about to take place. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, it just, it's, it's a reminder that even if let's say you know we have an enemy and that enemy is quiet and dormant for a, for a, for a period of time that doesn't necessarily mean that that enemy is no longer an enemy that just means that that enemy is potentially planning and plotting and waiting for a moment to strike at your most least at your least most vulnerable point and so it's a reminder as to this is why we can never kind of take our take our foot off the gas or or be kind of unrelenting with that pressure Mm, yep. And I mean, I look at it as such a and you said this before on the on the Mexican border, but such a failure of leadership, because when the United States is strong, when we have strong leaders that are in power, we don't see this. We don't see this kind of I mean, you feel I, I feel like sometimes we're getting it from all ends. Right. We're getting it from the open border and we're seeing it from overseas and it doesn't feel very comfortable. And I, you know, as much as, you know, in, in elections, abortion becomes such a big issue to motivate women, what I want to motivate women on and why I'm so thrilled that you're my guest today, Anna, is that I try to explain to women, actually, national security and foreign policy and the safety of our borders is the most important thing, because if that fails, the family nucleus also starts falling apart. The economy starts falling apart. And it's a trickle-down effect or a domino effect where it's one big thing just wipes everything else out. And, and I feel like that's where we are today. And going into this next election cycle, I want people, women most importantly, because I feel like, you know, we just as as moms, as women, as daughters, you know, we always have this super emotional component to voting. And I want them to understand that it is, if you're going to be emotional about something, be emotional about an, a 10-month-old baby that is taken from Hamas and given to another terrorist organization. Be emotional about a four-year-old orphan whose parents were killed and, and is coming back without parents. 
the, be emotional about the old ladies that were Holocaust survivors that were shot down in the street and executed or the moms that are raped in front of their children. Like we should be emotional about that and start looking at electing leaders who have a set of balls that are going to go out there and kick the asses of of the other leaders around the world and get everyone in line instead of sitting back on our hands, taking naps and being at our summer home in uh, Delaware. That's that is exactly it. I I think, you know, moms, we tend to and I don't know about you, but like I've only been a mom for like 13 months. But like my worldview has been just completely rocked in terms of how I see things. And so like right now, my daughter is at daycare. I know she's safe. I know she's fine. Why? Because it's a vetted daycare. It's a place that I trust. But let's say, for example, it was not a vetted daycare. And because of kind of everything that's happening kind of just writ large around the world, imagine if, let's say, someone could have taken drugs and left it on the floor, like we know what happened in that Airbnb in Florida where that poor infant, that poor toddler rather, died from a fentanyl overdose. That's something that can easily happen. Why? Because fentanyl is essentially everywhere. And and, and so I, I think mom need to kind of learn to take channel our emotional nature into like righteous indignation as to like how our leadership and how our government right now is failing us and do something about it because nobody's going to do it for you. And if you expect somebody to do it for you, you're we're going to continue electing crap leadership that's going to put us in a situation where we could potentially have to deal with another formula shortage or like literally in the lifespan of my kid being born these 13 months, I've dealt with a formula shortage, an Advil shortage, a baby Tylenol shortage, an antibiotic shortage. And I forgot, I know there was something else that I've just been like, what is going on? Like I'm forced to jump online and like barter with strangers to beg like, Hey, do you have this can of formula? Like I could trade you for this. And I live in what I live outside of Washington, DC. I live in Virginia. I'm in Northern Virginia. And that's what our reality has become. It's, it's unreal. And again, it goes to a lack of leadership. I mean, I think that the way that we are viewed around the world has changed substantially with this administration. It's upsetting and it's concerning as a mom. My daughter goes to school in North Carolina. I have no control over what goes on over there. And and the fear that something happens to us here and she's not with us or something happens there and I can't get to her is, is a real fear, right? And so it's those things of being a mom does change your perspective. It changes your outlook on the world. And and again, I, I, I think that the left does a great job at pulling at our heartstrings. But what we need to do is look at those things in the world that really affect us every single day, that have an impact on our families, that have an impact on our livelihood, that have an impact on our lives, have an impact on when you put your head down at night, do you know there was this commercial back in the, I want to say it was the 80s. I was, I, I'm definitely dating myself by saying that. So I was a kid, but there was a commercial that used to say, do you know where your children are? Right. And it is, it's such a, it, it's such a powerful voice that I could still hear that commercial, right? It's like, it's 10 PM. Do you know where your children are? Well, you know, in this world, we should be more concerned about how everything around us affects our families and and whether that's our elderly parents or our siblings that need some extra attention or our children. And, and this foreign policy issue, this national security issue is really a big one to me. And so, you know, I'm, I've been trying to direct the podcast to 
folks thinking about the 2024 election and and where they're going to go. And I've been very open about my support of Nikki Haley in this next election, just because I I want an adult in the room. I want a real leader. And and quite honestly, having a woman who is a mother who has raised children and knows what it's like to, you know, have to feed your child and what it would be like to have a a formula shortage or you have a sick baby and you can't find Tylenol or any medicine for the baby or what if you have a child that has mental health needs and you actually cannot find a provider for your child because our kids were locked up for two years and told to wear masks and told to stay at home and instilled fear into our children. And now there are not enough therapists to help those kids, right? And so wouldn't it be great to have someone who actually understands life and what real life outside of a a legislative bubble or a DC bubble or a political bubble, but but actually can interpret real life wisdom in addition to experience and competency. And so, you know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, that this conversation, you know, in addition to everything that I always talk to people about is helpful because I, I think that what your experience and what you know and, and have lived is super relevant to this next election cycle. I'm assuming you feel the same way that this this national security thing is most important and and the leadership qualities, you know, of of a president, you know, it's it's I people will say, oh, well, Trump did this. Well, Trump was the last person that you have right before that you had Obama and now you've got Biden. So Trump was the last Republican president that we had. It wasn't that Trump was different than all Republicans. It just happened to be that we had eight years of a Democrat in office. And then we had Trump. And then we had, you know, we have this unfortunate situation that we have today. But I'm, I I think that leadership qualities actually should play a factor in this election cycle. Oh, I, look, I feel like we need somebody who is respected, admired, and feared both kind of abroad, right? I I think, you know, when you were bringing up that point of that commercial, like it's 10 o'clock and you know where your children are. I think, you know, imagine like moms who their kids are in college and are at a, are on a study abroad. Because, you know, one of the things that I dealt with on the Foreign Affairs Committee was the issue of American hostages abroad. And there is a significant amount of American hostages who unfortunately are in Latin America and not just, and also just folks who randomly, unfortunately get arrested and, you know, extorted for money. But the hostage situation is just gut-wrenching. In Venezuela, there was a point where I think we had close to a dozen folks who were categorized as hostages, people who were illegally detained by the government for political purposes. So imagine if you're a mom and you're, you know, your kid tells you like, hey, mom, I'm going to go study abroad in Colombia, bordering Venezuela, Colombia, it seems perfectly normal. Imagine your kid gets arrested in Colombia and then handed over to the Venezuelan government. That's something that's happened to at least, and I'm not saying it, it hasn't happened yet to any college age students, but it's happened to a significant amount of Americans who've been arrested in Colombia and then handed over to the Venezuelans and have been tortured in a Venezuelan prison and who've just gone through unspeakable things. So, you know, for a lot of like the moms who are just like, well, these are things that I really don't have to worry about. It's happening so far away. It's like, if you have college kids, chances are they're going to want to study abroad. 
chances are they're going to be put in a situation where it's either if they're in a dangerous area within like Latin America, or if they decide to go to Spain or to Italy, where we have seen, unfortunately, kind of the Islamist threat growing out there. It's we just cannot remove and disconnect ourselves. There's just there's literally no way. So you got to vote as though like that is something that's either happening in your life right now or could potentially be on the horizon. I'm so glad you said that because I hope that some of my friends that listen to the podcast actually pay attention to what you just said, because we all have college age students and a lot of them are going abroad or are planning on going abroad or are abroad. And and every time I talk to my friends and I say, you know, watch this debate, you have to you have to see what they're saying. Like, you know, I I'm in I'm all in with Nikki, but I just want you to see who's out there and make a decision and and feel that this election is really important. And I'll get friends that are just like, well, you know, I never vote. I'm like, ah, what? And that's exactly what I'm trying to explain is, no, it is your vote is so important because it changes the trajectory of so much down the line, right? It goes from you don't you're not paying attention to the fact that oh, my child wants to go to Prague and study. That's great. Sounds sound, looks beautiful. Sounds like a great place. But then what happens when there's actually some national security issue? What happens when there's a risk? What happens when there's a flare up of of terrorist cells, right? And and that is all all tied into the leadership of this country because like it or not we were always viewed as the powerhouse you know during the cold war it was you know russia and the united states and we were the superpowers and maybe i'm a little old school in this but i think what we do here and the tone that we set resonates around the world whether they like it or not it resonates around the world oh it absolutely does i mean imagine not even just like a study abroad. Imagine your kids are going away on like a spring break and they are escorted by like some corrupt police officer. Who do you think is going to, what rather, what president do you want making the case on behalf of your kid, kind of telling their folks in their administration, I want this American home. Do you want it to be the guy who is on stage literally calling out someone's daughter? Like that was just disgusting and vile. Like what he did was just absolutely utterly repulsive. Is he going to be someone who's actually going to care about your kid? Highly doubt it, right? I think you need someone who like has proven, I care about kids. I care about people's families and I'm going to make sure that Americans are protected. And so I don't know. I just, I think we just need to think like, we think we're so isolated and removed from things, but there are so many vulnerabilities and like touch points that we have in our lives that strong American leadership at home and abroad just deeply matters. Absolutely. I love that. And I love this discussion. I think it's so ridiculously important, which is really why I wanted to have you on Anna as a guest, because it's it's not often I can find someone who is a foreign policy expert, border security expert and and a mom. Right. And so, and so and and someone who has that policy experience and and crossed over to the political. And it's it's really important because I, I would love for more women. I mean, we're in a very unique world, but I would love for more women to really pay attention to how important how important their vote is in, I guess, defining where the world is going. Right. Where the country is going, where the world is going and, and the impact it has on your family. 
Yeah, no, I think we women need to recognize we are far more powerful and far more effective. Kind of if you, you know, channel your energies in the right direction, we can get it done. And I, I think this is this is the time to do something about it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. This is great. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Anna Quintana today here on Political Contessa. I hope that you had an opportunity to really think, stop, listen to what a true expert on border security has to say about what's going on today. Your vote matters. When you are thinking about who to go and vote for in your caucus or your primary, one, please go vote. And two, think about how important leadership is, real leadership. So Anna, thank you for being here with me today on Political Contessa. And to you, Thank you for being here with me. Enjoy the holidays. Stay happy, healthy, and safe. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Politicalcontessa.com.